Welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. I'm Joel. In this conversation, we're going to continue this theme of reimagining development. And I was really touched by this conversation. I felt that we became, as a collective, animated by the very topics that we were discussing. So we'll talk about wholeness and development. We'll, we'll talk about what are these notions of what it is to be human and to develop if we inherited from a modern worldview that we may be being invited to let go of. We'll talk about ascending and we'll talk about descending, logic and flow, courage and transmutation. And my guests in this podcast, really beautiful souls, we have Veronica Alaya Love. Veronica is the CEO of the Newfield Network, which is one of the major coaching schools in the world. And she uh, combines over 15 years of experience working in the holistic health field with over 14 years immersion in the ontological coaching domain. I'm joined also by Alexander Love, who is an acupuncturist, a coach, a cranial sacral therapist, and a previous guest on a recent podcast. And I'm also joined by Laurie Eve Deshar, who is an acupuncturist, an author, an alchemical healer, an artisan of transformation. She wrote the first and only modern book on the five spirits of ancient Chinese medicine. And she's worked for over three decades to integrate the principles and practice of Chinese medicine with Western depth psychology to create alchemical healing. And what I like about each of the guests is, yeah, they're coming from not only a Western paradigm, but from an Eastern paradigm, Taoist, uh, Chinese medicine. And I think uh, there, th these worldviews, these paradigms have much to contribute on this notion of what is an emerging worldview in our times. So I'm very excited to share this with you. As usual, if you are wanting to check out Coaches Rising, we provide online trainings for coaches on all different types of topics. You can head to coachesrising.com to check out our offerings there and also join our ever-growing community by putting your name in the sign-up box there to stay in the loop about all things which are not this podcast. All right, so that all being said, let's dive in. Here is the podcast with Veronica, Alexander, and Laurie. All right, so here we go. Um, we're going to hopefully have a really rich conversation. We just kind of, I'm just meeting you, Laurie and Veronica and Alexander. We've had the chance to be in some really beautiful conversations before. So we've got, we've got a sense of where we want to go today, but I think, yeah, I'm really sat with this sense of what wants to emerge between the four of us. And um, I'm excited about that. So I think, well, first of all, how's each of you doing? Hmm. I'm doing really well. I'm, uh, just really glad to be here and glad to be here with all of you because I've, I've had a chance to be with all of you in various ways. And I think that there's a lot of um, room and space to explore, you know, creative dialogue and what, what we can discover together. I'm also um, delighted to be here again um, with you, Joel, and also Alexander and Lori. I feel like um, it's such a such an honor to be able to to have these conversations together and to discover collectively. Um, so yeah, I'm enthusiastic. Yeah, thanks for the invitation to be here. And thanks, Joel, for 
asking and, you know, when you say, how am I doing? And what I'm aware of most is there's always like a buzz when you meet new people on Zoom, not, you know, there's always that buzz. But as soon as I came on and saw the three of you, there was already this palpable kind of low hum that is coming even through, you know, the virtual. And so I'm just sinking down into that and so grateful, so grateful to be able to create these pockets, you know, these field pockets where we are inviting a different different kind of awareness. So I'm present to that and that's like my favorite thing. So I'm doing good. I'm, I'm here. I'm brimming with excitement actually to hear where we go. Yeah, I really, uh, it really helps me tune in. And I think um, something that you said there, Veronica, speaks into how I hold this conversation today, which is, yeah, we're kind of, this is an emergent dialogue and that we're going to make sense together. And that actually that might speak to um, the the first kind of thing I want to bring in as a potential as a question, which um, isn't fully coherent. It'll probably cohere as I speak this question out, which is, you know, we've been having conversations together, Alexander and, and Veronica. And, um, you know, one of the things I've been interested in is, you know, how um, are we being invited to evolve um, how we hold what coaching is and in particular you know this notion of what what transformation or development might be in these times when you know it feels like we're moving between worldviews and that perhaps our notion of what development and transformation is has been um, in the west really informed by a particular you know lineage like an, a european american kind of notion of that and and is it time to expand our our notions of what development and what coaching is? And you know, I know we've just to add into this, we've kind of each probably know of the work of Ken Wilbur and and have uh, sort of sense of that and inspirations from that. And yet, we've also been introduced to the work of Gebser as well, and and are inspired by that. So we might kind of include start to include in the answer to this. Um, how we see those different views of what development is. So, so I guess I'm asking, like, yeah, where are you? Where are each of you sitting around? Like, you know, your your sense of like how we hold what development is and how we might be being invited as a as a community that that trans works with transforming others um, to to kind of evolve that and expand that in these times. Well, I'll, I'll chime in here. Um... My sense is that coaching um, really invites us to to reflect and to inquire about a lot of fundamental assumptions that we hold. And in that invites us into greater possibility. And so a conversation in which we begin to question what is self what is coaching, right? Kind of these basic core fundamental elements that we tend to launch into conversation, assuming we all have a shared understanding of these basic premises. And often I think some of the beauty of coaching is that it is an embodied dialogical practice in which we inquire and in which we cultivate our own awareness of how are we assuming and holding these concepts 
And these concepts aren't simply out there and abstract, but living through us and in us individually and collectively. So that when we begin to really reflect and inquire begins to break apart, right? It begins to um, kind of pull at the thread and we find those places where um, over time, I think certain elements there, there's kind of like a, a yarn ball, right? Like collectively we've all been moving in a particular direction and we can begin to question that direction, whether that's the direction of coaching as a profession or whether that's the direction of humanity as a whole, where are we going or how we are understanding is development, you know, purely vertical and is the goal to ascend, right? So, um, so for me, when we look at what is coaching, I think it's this fundamental, deep inquiry that invites us to, to pause and to slow down so that we have time to actually assimilate and digest and, um, and also to pivot um, if that's what we need to do. So I think giving that little bit of history about coaching and the beauty um, you know, I often quote Oscar Wilde, he has, and I paraphrase, but he has something about, we, we don't see something and something doesn't come into existence until we see its beauty. And so I think that invitation to look deeply and inquire deeply is at the heart of coaching itself. It's beautiful, Veronica. I really appreciate that kind of um, almost like gathering in of values as well as ideas. It's very helpful for me because as I've said, I don't come from a coaching background per se. And at the same time, all my work ever since I began, I mean, even before my work as a radical activist in the early seventies and then moving into Chinese medicine as another maybe less stressful way to initiate change process, you know, because I was burning out as an activist. I see myself now more as a post-activist, a reflectivist, an emergentist, whatever that is. But um, this idea of how do we initiate change that leads in the direction of what I call a negentropic outcome as opposed to an entropic, just getting back to where we were. So in a sense, you know, while I call what I do alchemical healing or alchemical acupuncture, it combines many of these same values and, and ideas that you've spoken to along with depth psychology and Taoist alchemical ideas about human. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to use the word development at this point. So I'm going to say more like the emergence of original nature or radiance is more kind of the, the direction. And I will just add that I, I think that is why for me, Gebser has been such a, a guide um, more so than some other consciousness commentators because Gebser was so careful to avoid the word evolution and spoke more of mutation. In other words, change emerging from within 
almost the way we say in, in, in antidromia in Chinese medicine, that the yin emerges from the yang and the yang emerges from the yin and they are simultaneously co-creating. So it's a kind of a different, it, it brings us to a different way of being with what am I actually doing in the treatment room? What am I actually doing when I teach a group of people? What am I looking for? If I'm not looking for skill mastery or high performance learning or, you know, data, what are we looking for? Throw that out there. <laughs> I, love, I love that. I love everything that, you, that you've shared, that you both have shared so far. And, you know, what, what comes up for me is this notion that, you know, the heart of coaching, I understand to be sort of nested in wholeness, that, that, there is a, that there is a notion that we are a whole experiencing at times fragmentation. And my sense is, is that when we place the, 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 the conception of development or the process of growing up within the context of a wholeness, it requires that the um, indiv individualistic mind that tends to be a, a Western sort of uh, orientation, it reminds me that there's also a necessity to include the notion that we are um, also a collectivity. And this is something that in Chinese medicine is so evident because it, it you know, the medicine arose out of an agriculture, you know, out, out, out of like a, a roots family of human beings that were in the dirt, you know, growing stuff and in relationship to one another in a way where culturally there's a different sense of who is the I. And oftentimes the I can have also much more of an inclusion of the we. I am a son. I am a daughter, I am a sister, I am a brother, I am a friend. And so within that context, if, if we're looking at the notion of whole and developmental unfolding, well, there's a lot of different human beings that are a part of our collective that are undergoing their own experience of emergence. And so to me, in this context, the notion of what stage am I at, which is a very common question in the integral universe, starts to be flipped on its head because where I am at, if I am a whole that includes an individuality and a collectivity, it must mean that I'm also asking like, well, what stage are my atoms at? And what stage are my next door neighbors at? as a reflection of where am I at as a whole. And so I, I feel, you know, this notion, and I, and I, um, I hardly understand Gepser, but um, this notion of, instead of a vertical line, looking at a spherical sort of dimensionality that has the richness of our entire history, not history as in past, but history as in the trees are living beings that are holding where where we have come from with life and within that you know atomic and subatomic life um that that we are this sort of whole process that is not um singularly located at a developmental stage but rather i hold this kind of both and orientation that 
it does appear that there is some form of growing up processes that occur. There is some notion of increasing complexity uh, and different ways in which we're orienting. And yet at the same time, I don't know that it's so much a, a linear stair step, you know, a stairway to heaven, you know, where each, I was just writing about this today, like a stairway to heaven where it's like, as we climb each stair, the, the steps sort of crumble into dust as we ascend to the more important. I feel like that's, you know, that's colonialism, you know, in drag, like that, that's, that's what's happening there. And, and, and actually another way to look at it is this, just all of this historical variation that is embedded within our collectivity and individuality, all present, all co like present, co-present in the moment um, as a whole. Yeah, re really inspiring. And um, Laurie, I forgot to mention, of course, you're you're not a coach, but you are doing doing a lot of deep transformational work with people. So, just to to bring that in and. Um, I'm really excited to explore this sense of um, emergence that we're starting to, and, and what, who is the self that we're starting to touch into. And I, I'd like to just maybe invite each of you to spend a bit longer. I don't know if the word is critiquing, but you know, like what, what, um, what ways have we held? What development is, do you think that are, kind of limiting in some sense or unhelpful and you know uh, Laurie I know you spoke about how you just resonated with Gebser over over Wilbur as well and I'm just wondering if you could speak into that so yeah because eventually I want to get to this place where we can speak about what what is it to hold space for this emergence what what conditions allow for this emergence to take place if that is the right question, actually, you know, I think that's so. such a good condition question, because actually for me, and one of the sort of central principles of my teaching and my work with practitioners and training practitioners to work this way, combining Chinese medicine and depth psychology and alchemical ideas is that we cannot, it, we are not in charge of the timing of change. That is timing or chronos or kairos. That's that's something under the jurisdiction of, we could say, the, the cosmos and the dark goddess and the underworld forces. But what are, as humans, what we can do is use our intention to create conditions and to keep creating conditions for that miracle that is transformation. And that's you know, that it's again, it's flipping the idea of the ego being in charge of the process. In fact, um, one of the classic texts, The Secret of the Golden Flower, they actually, it's an alchemical text um, from the early 1800s, but predates that by many centuries in its original form. And one of the things they say is the only use of the mind the only real use of the mind is to keep putting us back in the place, whether that's on the cushion or in the uh, conversation or in the community 
um, or in the practices where that transformation happens. But we're not in charge of when it happens. So that's one sort of, I think I loved that you were kind of alluding to that. Like, what, what, what are we doing here? You know, we are creating the conditions for a miracle. We're creating the conditions for what I say, like for the Tao to, to radiate, to be radiance through me. I, I will come back just briefly to your question. I think my love for Gebser comes for one thing out of the poetry. I mean, I'm an artist, I'm a poet, I'm a writer. So Gebser and the ever-present origin, Gebser is a linguist. He's his passion for language and the etymology of language just is my, it resonates with me. So I think that's one reason that I preference those texts. Uh, but the other reason is what I spoke to earlier is that the idea of a spiral dynamic still for me has a linearity to it, even if it's a circular linearity, like we're going somewhere and we're developing. And as you said, Alexander, for me, there's a subtle undercurrent of hierarchy and colonialism in that. Whereas Gebser in saying the ever-present origin is much more the other that you were alluding to again, Alexander, is that it's already there. It's all already present in all of us. It's a matter of developing the capacity to shine our awareness into these emergent places or places that have not yet, in a sense, uh, the petals that haven't opened of the lotus, but they're all there. So it takes it out of temporality as we know it. And in order to arrive at that place of integrality that Gebser speaks of, we, we need to leave behind, you know, or at least um, subsume linear time to a larger kind of time awareness. So um, what this is bringing up for me is sort of a, a number of different dimensions and territories. Um, you know, your, your uh, prompt, Joel, kind of, I guess it, it brings up for me the desire to kind of make a distinction between, you know, Wilbur as an individual who's written something and what integral culture has come to make sense of what they have read. Um, and so to me, it, it has less to do about, you know, critiquing a particular philosopher or even a philosophy, but more looking at how is culture making meaning with this information. And so when I speak, I'm not gonna be speaking as if I know what Wilbur meant but speaking on some of the cultural themes I see arising in relationship to Wilbur's work, which may in fact be very different things. And, you know, integral theory in the beginning, it's a very nice sort of neatly organized set of boxes that fill in, sort of try to fill in some way of including everything. And, this can be a beautiful thing if we like organization and, and sort of a systemic uh, sort of 
uh, scope and view of something. It's it's sort of it's almost like an extension of the modern uh, enjoyment of differentiation and and like object recognition and like I know this and I understand that and it's a more complex version in a way. And within this, the state stages are often they seem to be understood as a perspective because of course it's put in a particular quadrant and a particular zone if if you know Wilbur's zones. And it's like, oh, this is a perspective, which is a beautiful invitation that we see through a perspective and that the, those perspectives we hold inform the way we, we see the world. But it still does have some uh, remnants, some memory of the sort of enlightened Western Enlightenment age uh, differentiation, which has its beauty, its incredible beauty and gifts but it also does have certain forms of separation inherent within it. Oh, this is a perspective. I'm at this perspective. Where are you at? Oh, you're up there. Oh no, I'm up there. And you're, I don't understand you. So you must be down there. Whereas I'm up there because I'm the leading edge. And you kind of get this sort of language around a sort of hyper nuanced complex capacity to differentiate who I am as I think I am as a perspective. Now, one of the other things that Wilbur offers in his uh, integral post-metaphysics is the recognition that there's an inseparability between the knower and the being that's arising that is also inseparable from who we are as an unfolding gesture. Wilbur uses the word methodology. He talks about ontology, which is the arising being, epistemology as the knowing, the, the, the knowing observer, and then methodology, which I change to gesture because methodology, I feel like while it's true, there's something more foundational. And methodology still brings in this, like I'm staring at you through like a methodological lens, and da, 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 which is fine. However, what I feel like there's an invitation to in this is that the knower, the rising arising world, and that which we are as an unfolding gesture are a unity, mm -hmm. which implies that, that now we are uh, a stage is not just a perspective. It's an entire arising world that's emerging with a perspective, and it also cannot disclude one another because one another exists within that arising world. And so it creates a, a, a reorganization of, well, what is a stage of development? And again, places us back into a larger participatory uh, wholeness that we're in relationship with. And it may be, again, in an effort to bring a both and to this, it may be, I'm not saying it is, but it may be that this wholeness is going somewhere. <laughs> My 13 year old is definitely going somewhere. She and I are going to cross, CrossFit this afternoon. We are headed in a direction, but we're also a wholeness that can have this variation in our uh, developmental unfolding. Whereas one moment I'm, you know, uh, an earlier dimension of history, my, my living history um, that's yearning for something. And then the next minute I'm holding a deeper, broader light um, that's able to envelop that history. So I have the ability to kind of fall into multiple dimensions 
of how one might make sense of and be inside of a world. And then I may shift around. And maybe that shifting around is going somewhere, but it's happening together. It's not uh, an elite few. Because that again places back into this uh, separatist view of development. Veronica, do you want to chime in here? I'm happy to share something, but I'd love to bring you in. Sure. Um, I, I just I concur with what Alexander's saying around the um, the fullness of experience as being human, in the sense that um, it's entwined. The, the embodiment piece, the somatic piece, right? Our, our emotional experience of something um, as well as our perspective so that the, the becoming is a full richness um, that is inseparable, that we, can't, that we can't just take out one piece and say, this is the aspect. And so often when I am looking at um, stages or development, I, I'm holding it more as, um, as as something that we're walking through, right? Um, it's, it's a, for me, I think what often arises is this notion of time and space and how those are in perpetual flux. <laughs> um, and so to, to really examine um, what is the space in any given moment, right, that I'm occupying or that am I aware of and what is the time sense? Because all of those seem very malleable and very, um, there's like a liquid component to them where they can shift. And um, and so being present to them, just as, as Alexander was saying, there's um, in any given moment, it's like, what is coming up? Is it my history that is now in, in the moment? Is it um, the future that's now in the moment, right? And so we have the sense of um, keeping it very linear and very sequential and nicely ordered. And yet when we drop into the experience of it, it isn't necessarily that there's an entwinement or there's a connectedness um, where we have those moments where time just seems so expansive, right? We have those moments where we just fall into this extreme spaciousness or moments where time flies by and all of that. And so, um, so to begin to question the space dimension and the time dimension and to be, begin to look at how that impacts our own experience of self, um, which I think is is at the heart of all of this. How does the self um, enfold, unfold, refold, <laughs> collapse, right, augment? All those shape-shifting experiences of self come to the forefront where we can really begin to um, have an open inquiry around the sense of self and, and wholeness. Um, yeah, it's a little bit about what arises for me in the moment, Joel. I'd love to kind of share what comes up for me and then I think it might kind of bring the next. Um, yeah. Cause I like, I think I shared this with you in our previous conversations, Alexander. Um, well, and I, I came across Wilbur's work and I was really enthralled by it. And, and at some point it's like, it's interesting. It happened between um, me and, all my friends at the same point where we kind of like, we were in love with it. And then we were like, yeah, but how, how do you live this stuff? You know, uh, it, 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 
even though this thing is so rich in what it points to, in, in another sense, it feels like it's lacking a kind of depth. And so, um, and I feel that I, um, it kind of played into this, this tendency in me to like abstract out, you know, this, this kind of form of mind, which is all about uh, complexity, like, um, you know, having greater and greater kind of categories of concepts with which I could categorize the world. And um, actually what I felt called into was actually something very different. I kind of, and I hear it in what you're speaking into, which is like, actually the, like a kind of intimacy. Um, you know, what is it to be in, in, in intimacy and in, in this, um, this world, which is like fluid. I think you use liquid uh, as an expression, Veronica, like, so, um and 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 the um the aliveness that started to come with that move into a kind of intimacy with um myself and my experience with others and everything and there was a kind of um something that opened up for me there that was very potent a kind of a way of knowing and and revelation and emergence that felt very alive and um and 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 kind of brought me into this deep question of like who who am I you know and um, what is the self like as you're saying sharing Veronica so I think what what that brings up in me is like you know what is the maybe because I was thinking of descendant you know this 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 descending intimacy but maybe that even that's too you know oh yeah you've got ascending and then descending perhaps even that's too kind of two dimensional. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's, so it's like, what do you think about that notion of descending and, um, what, what opens up basically? That's my question. Like, what does it make possible, uh, this place that each of you is speaking to, you know, like this kind of fluidity, this kind of intimacy, shining the awareness on the petals. Yeah. That makes sense. I would say for me, there's something about the sensorial aspect of life, like waking up our senses to really be in resonance and attunement with the experience that we're engaging in. Um, I think there's something where, as you, you use the term aliveness, Joel, and that's one of my favorite things, right? It's like, what is that aliveness where we wake up and um, can experience you know, a highly saturated color, like the yumminess of red or crimson or blood orange, right? When we can be so um, in delight with that experience and, um, and, and, or the taste of something or the sound, like there's a richness to life um, that I think is very simple on the one hand, right? Like, can we drop into, um, if it's the conversation, then can we really be in the conversation and experience the sensations of our mouth moving and of our eyes shifting and the expressions that are happening on our faces and be in the conversation? There's a level of presence um, or movement, right? Just like the movement of our feet on the earth or, or our arms moving in a particular direction, like there's something when we dwell and in the relishing of that, that I think um, the word home just arises for me. 
um, there's just a, a home of where our hearts can really be in touch with life itself. And life is so, um, because it can get so complex and it can be so all of this. And yet something wakes up and something comes alive when we give permission to be in contact with that amount of intimacy and that amount of beauty um, that I think is so moving. And I think that's where relationship comes to it, it it flourishes right there is a flourishing that happens when we're with each other with our with our children with our parents with our siblings with our peers like with our colleagues when we're in relation with that level of openness um yeah i'll pause there like what i hear you both pointing to for me comes to this notion of, of, of depth that I can have a perspective. And I, in, in the work I do with clients, I work within a developmental frame all of the time um, as a single whole that includes all of the stages that, that we might have access to. And I've met people that are sort of functioning through what we might say is like an earlier perspective with incredible depth. And I've met people that would maybe be considered at a later stage with very little depth. And to me, this brings in this notion of what I like to call developmental phenomenology, where we are, we are not any longer talking about something, but we are exploring a living expression of, of, of the possibilities, the potentialities within us as this whole. And in that, when there's that sensual connectivity, that participation from depth with our life experience, well, we can explore ascent we can explore descent in a way that is wholly nonlinear and not creating divisions in consciousness, that it allows for the experience of feeling how history is living in our bones, in our cells, in the shadows that we have hidden away because it feels too shameful to reveal to the daylight. Just as deeply as we can experience the timelessness and the boundlessness that we might associate with forms of awakening, that if we're bringing in depth dimension or this phenomenological touching and text, like tasting the textures of, of our relationship with, with the whole. There are many things like such as ascent and descent that we can still include, but it's like reading the difference between reading about a mango and tasting one. And that changes our relationship to falling in love with maybe 
what these maps are pointing to. And I'll just say one final thing about this is that, I don't know if it's final, but for this moment that, you know, Wilbur's work or the integral world, they're often showing maps. And for me, you know, if I don't know that, you know, a little town in Italy exists until I find it on a map, then I can go there and have a cappuccino. And so I don't feel like, for me, there is an abject negation of theoretical constructs and mapping the attempt to map everything. Because if I think of Gebser in this notion of a perspectival, a meaning free from, it's not anti-separation or anti-reductionism, but it's an inclusion of, of everything as a part of the whole. And so I very much appreciate that there's a map that can tell me, bro, you've got atoms and cells. And then I can say, okay, now I want to feel how they dance. <laughs> and I want to live with them as my, as my kin. Yeah, Laurie, I'm just curious what you sat with. Yeah, well, I'm taking in and really loving, appreciating what you're both sharing, sitting with it, and, you know, not disagreeing with any of it. I mean, clearly for me and as my own individual journey, um, I, what you said there, Alexander, in from a Gebzerian viewpoint, it is not like an elimination of any of the uh, mutations. And, and the mutation of mental consciousness that does diagram and map and, and is able to parse out distinctions is a crit, it's been crucial. We've worked for thousands and thousands of years to develop the capacity for an ego with the perspective. And there's no way that Gebser's suggesting or that in my own work, um, I would suggest that that should be eliminated in any way. In fact, one of the dangers that I saw in the New Age movement was this regressive pullback to shamanic, magical times, mythical times with the elimination of the critical mind. And it didn't go so well, you know, again, in the, there's been lots of issues with that through the seventies and eighties. So for me, the idea that we need all of who we are and that all of who we are is what's going to allow us to, to expand into or shine the light on what he says to create the diaphaneity through these petals so that we can know ourselves as whole in an integral state. It, so when you were speaking about your daughter and you having plans for the day and you're going somewhere, it's like, absolutely, absolutely. We still need to have goals and directionality and maps. And I think for me, because I am innately a magical, mythical person, like I live in that domain, I grow up in that domain. It was a lot of work for me to develop skills in mental. And it's one of the reasons why when the maps get too complicated, my brain actually short circuits. Like I can't take it in when I start seeing 
you know, the, the spectrums of colors then bifurcating into 10 different spectrums with quadrants. I don't have that, like my brain doesn't work like that. So it's really coming out of my <laughs> very personal way of, of you know, knowing and being. I'm much more, Veronica, like you. I mean, the sensorial world. I was a dancer. It's, you know, the, what the body knows. But I've had to work very hard to develop my mental capacities to communicate the magic that was happening for me, it was like, there's all this magic in the treatment room. There's all this transformation happening, but nobody knows because it's happening behind a closed door. So that was really one of the um, impetuses that, that brought me to write Five Spirits, my first book about what is Taoist psychology capable of? How is it capable? How does it do this? How does it do what it does? And I had to learn to speak in coherent sentences with an organization and order. And so it was very important. But I would say what I'm up to now, and I think this is the key for me, is that in my own work, in my teaching, and in my work with the people who work with me, what I'm looking for is how do we make, how do we support the emergence now of what is what I see as an a sort of implicit new way of being with reality that's kind of popping up all over the globe. So I'm very engaged in a very uh, conscious, specific way with developing tools that support people in getting at that, in beginning to go, oh my gosh, like archetypes aren't just an idea. There are living sort of psychic beings that inhabit or move in and out of me that I can relate to and that can guide me or, you know, trip me up. And when I open my eyes in a certain new way, you know, these like these little disembodied ghosts, these hungry ghosts aren't just ideas. They live alongside of me they're in the mall when i go to the mall like there's there's you know what the Taoists call the greedy thief like filling filling his pockets with stuff and thinking that's gonna give him a happy life you know so to begin to live into these different stages as we would say but but remaining not losing our conscious ego identity or critical mind because that's the light that's going to guide us into this new possibility. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to just add, add to that because I, I hear some themes of um, that, that invite me to kind of want to sort of live into this notion of descent a little bit because, you know, this, this, this sense of diaphaneity, which, you know, to me, you know means to, to make transparent or to shine light through if we sort of boil it down, it's like we're a wholeness that experiences various degrees of fragmentation. Right, it's beautiful. Fragmentation are also part of the whole. Um, it's something that I, I, I learned um, a, a while back that, you know, being the outcast is a role that you play in the group, right? So it's like you, you can't actually get outside of it as a uh, recently, uh, Jeff Fitch, he said something like, well, if it, if, you know, if it doesn't have a place, then where would you put it? It's like, 
I don't know where those exact words or the basic idea is like, how can you not have a place? Like, where are you going to put it? Everything has a place, right? And, and so this, this, so that with this notion of, of the, of a process of descent, the process of allowing ideally this luminous sense of wholeness to be able to radiate through all of the nooks and crannies within our being, which is the whole, which is a reflection of the whole. It's a reflection of all of our history, the last 13, whatever, 14 billion years, all the horrors, all these things, they live inside of us in various ways. Some of them are very deeply, deeply hidden. And that willingness, the courage, um, which by the way, that luminousness automatically has the courage. It doesn't require will. It doesn't require force. It's just ever patient, willing, interested, engaged, and loving. That allowing the dissension into our living history to awaken these harmonics. Some of these harmonics are consonant, meaning we love our inner three-year-old and there's, there's, it's, there's a complete immediacy of inclusion. And then we have the dissonant harmonics, the thing that happened to me, the thing that happened to us, the history that we are together bearing. And to be able to shine this light, making visible, but not just for the purposes of then staring at, making visible for the processes of then allowing an interactive re-inclusion where the fragment, which was always a part of the whole now knows it's part of the whole. And that simple shift seems to make all the difference. That's beautiful, Alexander. Yeah. Yeah. It actually brings up for me the question of um, how, what, how might we, be being invited to be so so you know i hear in what you're saying alexander is like there's um we're, we're whole and and we're fragmented that that wholeness doesn't exclude uh being fragmented you know it can include that it embraces that and yet there's it sounds like there's a way of being we're being invited into which can um may, maybe lead to more wholeness or um you know it, it can inf- activate a kind of emergence and so i'd just like each of you to speak into that question really and and laurie you know you said like there's a way of being which is emerging around the world which i you know really love and i just like could you i know i know in a way we're probably throughout this whole conversation kind of alluding to that way of being but could you just share what you mean by that way of being so so we can be clear about that and then yes let's like what you know what ways of being are we being invited to to kind of be as coaches, as practitioners, which um, might be aligned with this way of being that's emerging? Well, as you said, Joel, this this emergent way of being, I I think, has threads to everything we're talking about. But what I mean, my own awareness in working with large with large groups of people in the Chinese medicine world, but also in healthcare practitioners as a whole, but also I've been very engaged in a large community, a global community with Bayo Akamalafe and 
engage with people all over the globe who are looking at, I would say, how do we shift the notion or the sort of preferencing or prioritizing of the ego of the, we would say, the, the colonized I as a isolated, um, will-driven, and, and, you know, the goal being high performance, even as activists, it's like, what are we accomplishing? Rather than, and I think Alexander, well, we've all been kind of circling around this, a revisioning of the self as embedded and tentacular, you know, in, in, in our consciousness, in our awareness that not only with, say, here, the four of us, I feel, you know, this sort of tentacular way that we are creating a, 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 a field of consciousness here you know, as we enter, as we play, but also outside each of us, there are trees, there's sky, there's beings, you know, on my desk here, I have flower essences imbued with right now, I'm working with lady slippers. So lady slipper is part of our conversation and lady slipper in her, you know, current sort of danger of existence. And yet, and yet that orchid that keeps showing up in the hidden places is in me and speaking to you. I mean, that's what's happening here. And in my teaching now, it's like, we're not just bringing in herbs, we're bringing in beings, we're bringing in intelligences. So that's a, the kind of awareness that, and, and that underneath all of us are rhizomatic intelligences that are saying, the planet's changing. You know, consciousness on this planet, it, it, we don't know yet. We don't know what's arising, but what we've been doing is, is definitely, well, in the words of Vanessa Machado, you know, we're hospicing. We're hospicing modernity right now. And at the same time, we're in the neonatal ward, you know, bringing, bringing this infant, this, and so, you know, when we sit together and we do this, I feel like we're in the neonatal ward. You know, it's like, what's that light being that's emergent here and all around us? That's, yeah. And it's, and, in, and I do know now, it's not just a theory. You know, I'm in conversation with people in Mexico, in Africa, in India, in Europe, in Ireland. It's like, it is friggin' happening. <laughs> At the same time that the old structures are are decaying and and you know crumbling and doing their various death dances all around us. And Joel, you you mentioned this question around you know how are we being with all of this, right? and um, and what are the conditions that we're wanting to to facilitate and. I find that in the work that that Newfield has done, right, for 30 plus years, and also internationally, that that has been um, this holding of, this bringing together of a cohort of 
individuals, <laughs> as we tend to call people, and, and connecting to the depth of courage that is required to experience a break um, of that encapsulment, right, skin in separation, um, and to begin to have experiences where, you know, just as Lori was pointing to, oh, I am in relation and I am co-being and I am being constituted by these relations that, that you're speaking, right, is il illuminating something in me that would otherwise not shine forth. And so when we're engaged in collectives that are being held in this reverence for um, recognizing that something bigger than the individual eye is happening and that something is so necessary with legitimizing the individual journeys that each human has gone through, but recognizing that that journey is completely enmeshed with ancestors and the future generations and you're right where on the globe we are so all of that right this this multi-dimensional aspect of our beingness and when we can and this is my like big thing is when we can actually listen to each other and this piece is huge for me, it's it's when we can listen to each other and be respecting each other. And we were just in a conference, Alexander and I were talked about respect as re-seeing, right? Seeing, am I willing to actually pause and re-see as a way to honor what is unfolding in front of us? So when we respect, when we're with another and recognize ultimately that we're separate and not separate simultaneously, right? We're holding what is seems to be a contradiction and recognizing that when that contradiction um, collapses or when that contradiction explodes, that something else becomes available for us. And to me, one of the things that becomes available to us is a whole nother level of depth and aliveness in, in how we're experiencing life itself. And I think that, that that is part of the heart of Newfield as that coming together in this new way that then ignites a whole nother passion of how we're being in the world, how we're engaging in the world, how we're being of service in the world, how we're contributing and dedicating because we're recognizing, just as Lori said that, oh, right, the orchid is, is with me and the moon is with me. And, 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 and in that being with the wholeness of not just the wholeness of myself, but the wholeness of the cosmos. I mean, Chinese medicine talks about the microcosm and the macrocosm. And that is at, you know, at, at one of the essential principles of Chinese medicine is seeing that the universe is within and without, and that, that, that is a wholeness in and of itself. Um, so for me, again, it circles back to beauty. It circles back to um, being in direct contact with the exquisiteness. And often we're so on the superficial that we miss that quality of beauty and that essential beauty. Which 
is palpably here for me right now as I hear each of you speak, you know, like there's, there's an, an exquisiteness here. Yeah. And I just want to invite the listeners to, to check into that too, because we really are not talking about something. We are speaking from something. And that's the invitation is that we, we explore ourselves as participatory beings. It's not that there's anything wrong with abstraction. It's just what if for a moment we didn't? Like what would happen if we just didn't do that for just a moment and noticed what is in the space around me? What's the quality, the, 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 the fragrance of being that is not just in me, how am I doing, but with me? soaking me in relationship what what is filling the space in a subtle as a subtle fragrance and that's what i feel as veronica is speaking and as this conversation is unfolding it's like there's the beauty of the words but then there's the exquisiteness of what the quality of light that that enters the space as veronica is speaking it's like you know that that's that's the stuff and when we listen to that, what does that mean for our relationships to one another? What does that mean to our what does that mean for the way we orient to being part of something? I would circle back, Veronica, to something you said, which I really appreciated and touched me. And I again I feel like it's very much um the the organizing principle of of my teaching right now um in in our community um a new possibility and then in the mentorship programs that i'm developing now which is very much about what does it mean to to be a healer you know what are we actually up to at this time that I'm that I think of as a bit of a crossroads moment. You know, we, we're really there's a there's many choices in the midst of a crisis. You know, the Chinese tell us that. The Chinese character is, you know, this person at the edge of the cliff with all this forest, these many trees. So, you know, at this time of crisis, on so many levels, there's also so many opportunities. And some of that has to do with the choices that we make. But the one thing you said that really touched me is, and you both spoke to this, you said, uh, how do we find the courage to do this work when the world, you know, many of our assumptions about the world from say World War II and those of us, you know, for me, a boomer and, you know, growing up in a time of prosperity and then all that's happened in these past decades to the point now where we're going, well, what are the structures we can rely on? Well, from an alchemical perspective, that's great. Let those structures dissolve, you know, the, the more dissolution, the better, the more dissent. But how do we find the courage to, to do the work? in the midst of that. And Alexander, you said something so beautiful. You said, you know, the light, the radiance doesn't need the courage, but, you know, 
me and my body that I think of as an individual body does in some way need courage. And I, for me, what's very clear, again, coming back to what you said, Veronica, is we can't do it alone. You know, the the hero's journey, you know, the get on your horse with your sword and your armor and, you know, slay the dragon. That's a mental, that's a mental construct. That's the construct of, you know, the ego. What we're being invited to here is a much more collaborative kind of courage where we do this work. As you said, you're doing it at Newfield. We're doing it at our community I mean, Alexander and I are in part of a cohort of practitioners who are doing this work really dedicated, but we can't do it alone. It's not, and we can't do it without our other than human allies as well. And I I wonder about, yeah, that touches me because um, there's something about, um, you know, you talked about courage and, I can't remember the phrase you referred to that Alexander, the luminosity doesn't need courage. And uh, I wonder about the role of, of like wholeness or, or presence, you know, in, in being a, a kind of, you know, it's like if we are, if we do consider that we're these fixed separate identities that, that need, you know, that then is governed by a sense of wanting to control our experience or defend ourselves, then this could be all quite threatening and it sounds like there's a there's a you know there's a an education taking place you know in terms of like what you said at the beginning veronica how do we hold what the self is and and that so i get the sense of then there's we're opening to our relationality you know that we are we're not this just a separate thing or if we are at all that, you know, that we're made of our relations in a profound way. And so that I can imagine, therefore, you know, a coach could be a guide in, in that kind of journey where you're holding space for somebody to begin to recognize um, where they hold themselves in a particular way, the fragmentation, perhaps, and um, how that is also not allowed to be included. So it can be included in a way that then helps this client begin to open. And, um, you know, so so there's there's something about the role of presence in this, you know, that, that allows like, um, that, that is a container for all of that kind of fluidity to then flow inside of, you know, because if that container isn't there, then it, is it just, is it just chaos, you know, or is it unmoored in a sense? So one of the things that arises when I listen to you, Joel, is I think in Western dominant culture, there's a sense of we're separate, right? We're individual and we're separate, but we're also broken. And often we're ashamed that we're broken. So we're also hiding. So we have all these different facets that coalesce and come together. Um, that make it very scary to um, to actually um, reveal and to actually bring forth our authentic fears and you know what are the things that hold us back? You know, we're talking about courage. Well, courage happens when we're in fear, right? If we don't have fear, then what are we being courageous about, right? So, so when 
I think all of those elements get really activated. And, and Lori just spoke about the dismantling of modernity, right? We're shaken up often and a lot of our fears come to the forefront. Um, and so part of this shifting of self from recognizing that, um, you know, from coming into contact with our own wholeness and being able to embrace our own fear and being able to embrace our own hesitation and resistance and being able to embrace all of those elements that show up in every human, you know, I often say every human being I've ever encountered has been sad, has cried, has been scared. You know, we think about these experiences as so, oh my goodness, I'm having it and I better go hide in the corner. Um, no one else hide, you know, has this experience. And we begin to see that, you know, the emotional landscape is also a collective landscape and that we're all, or many of us are living um, at moments, at least in these moments of terror or fear or, um, and when we begin to give voice and articulate what we often think of as the dark side, right? That, that that's when, um, when we can hold and embrace all of those aspects of our being in a respectful place, in a place where we're dignified, that somehow we begin to, um, to drop into that wholeness because we can be present to all of the challenges with so much heart and compassion. When we're really with someone who's really sharing the pain in which they're that they're experiencing life that 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 is touching also the light that they're 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 so intricately connected and so to be able to touch um those challenges in a space that can hold and be compassionate and caring and authentically present you're speaking to presence I think that the part of this light, right, the diaphanous light that we've been speaking about, part of this um, illumination, all of that is the conditions in which it enables us to find our courage to step forward and to actually speak so that it can be transmuted, so that it can be a new iteration and a new version can arise. Because when we continue to keep that undercover and in silence, that's when things, I believe, really get stagnant and static. So often we have these enemies that show up for us of, oh, that's the way I am, right? So we have the individual, we have the unbroken, and then we have we're static. When those come together, then I think it amplifies the suffering around change. Mm -hmm. And so when we can recognize that um, that we are actually a becoming and that we're actually endless iterations that are all connected and um, unfolding, then we have the opportunity to step into that change with more awareness and more conscious and more design and more support from um, good, what I like to call good company, right? Are we in good company? And are we practicing the art of conversation yes. where language is generative and change is happening in the moment as we speak? Beautiful. I love that. And it, you know, it, it brings up for me this notion that we, we have in, in Chinese medicine, this notion of virtue. 
and you know the, the character for virtue it shows a person a person that's standing and and then it shows uh eyes with a number 10 and so without going into it it basically means like a complete set of eyes eyes that can see everything um in this case it the 10 is like a it's like an um like a, a cross, not not a Christian cross, but where the where the horizontal line goes through the center, and so you have this notion like the four directions. If we look at something, it's like everything, and a set of eyes that can see everything, and then underneath that is a single unity line over the heart, and so the idea is that this notion of virtue is, you know, the eyes, they look in all directions and they find no deviation from this sense of wholeness within the heart. And this brings us to presence. This brings us to this depth dimension of being that I think Veronica is pointing to. This, this luminosity, it's not that it doesn't need courage, it's that it, it has all virtues within it. That's why it doesn't need someone to pour courage into it. It's because it is a wellspring of anything that we could need because it's an unbroken dimension of being. Because it's it knows it is an, an emanation of its own wholeness. And so then when we bring our fragmentation and our scaredness and our parts that feel ashamed, or when we stand in the presence of someone who votes differently than we do and we don't understand their choices, this dimension of being is not a place where we have to use our will to try to behave with virtue. Its natural disposition is the expression of virtue, not a single virtue, but all virtues, love, compassion, courageousness, care, interest, engagement. And to me, this is, this is the invitation and, and that, that as a culture, as a society, as a group of human beings, we ask ourselves the fundamental question questions what is required to cultivate this? Because if there is a divided, fragmented dimension of myself which takes over, it's not going to be capable of one, healing, two, being in a conversation with anyone that disagrees with me. And so then wh what, what will it take for us? And many different sub-communities are trying to answer this question. There isn't a single answer. But what is required of us to cultivate a relationship to this depth dimension so that we have the ability to, to hear someone be fra express fra fracture and to be able to meet that without will, but with ease, to be able to meet that with curiosity and love and interest. Oh, tell me more. How are you hurting? I know we disagree on, we don't, we don't agree on a thing, anything. But this place in me is willing to listen. And then that is this listening Veronica is pointing to that melts some of the surface structures which fight in the, in the night, you know, to help them melt away. So there's a deeper vulnerability and we're back to being humans again, rather than, you know, these fractured bits that are, you know, spewing what we've heard on our favorite news station. I'd love to just jump in before Laurie might, because of the time, um, just, yeah, just to kind of um, carry on that, that kind of invitation you're sharing there, Alexander, like, 
what is required of us? Maybe we could each just speak into that. You know, what's the invitation you want to make as we move towards the end of this conversation? You, you, we're all kind of making this whole conversation, I think, is an invitation, actually. Uh, but yeah, that's what I want to pose. And Laurie, I don't know if you want to kind of respond to what's being shared and include what I'm bringing in. Yeah, so where I would take that is, um, Alexander, you said, you know, what is it that allows us or opens us to this possibility of presence, whether it's in working with one person or in a group or with ourselves? I mean, for me, if I'm doing the depth work, if I'm working on in, being intimate with all of those parts that have been marginalized, including the body, as Veronica, you speak to, that the body in this culture has is a marginalized exile. We don't recognize the body as this sensitive organ of intelligence. So bringing these parts of the self back and doing the work of descent allows, it's not even an allowing, it happens when I'm with someone else. There's a trust and there's a presence of possibility that spontaneously arises. And that's very much a, a kind of core value of the way I train practitioners and the work that I do is there's none of us can do this work alone and none of us can do it if we're not doing our own inner cultivation practices. Then it, otherwise it falls flat and it's ongoing. So doing the shadow work, as you say, Alexander, but that also includes my light shadow, you know, not just the, the sort of marginalized, you know, sort of greed and aggression and ambition and all those parts of me as, you know, a woman that were not seen in my family. And I have to spend decades taking back ownership and feeling, you know, that my ambition is actually a life force, not like some thing I have to hide those pieces, but also um, recognizing our own capacities for creativity for greatness that were also marginalized. So that for me is the depth of work, being willing to go down in there and sit there and recognizing that what we don't know, the dark places, the dreams, the body murmurings are crucial, crucial kinds of knowing for the work we're talking about. I will say that right now I'm deeply engaged in a Taoist psychology, particularly in the domain of the po-soul, which is the body-soul, and doing a lot of teaching and research around how working with um, instincts that have become distorted and actually bringing those instinctual energies back into the into relationality understanding what those distortions of instinct need in order to, to transform into allies and, and, you know, life force is a very current piece of my work that uh, both in my teaching and my research and the book that I'm working on now. So very much about looking at shadow, but from a Taoist 
from a Taoist view. Veronica, do you want to go? I know that you have to to leave in a few moments. Well, uh, all that Lori said, I just echo and and say yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, I I do believe that you know before we become excellent coaches or practitioners or humans, right? In terms of our professional work, what we're doing that this kind of engagement requires our own um, introspection and our own practice and cultivation of self and that it is an ongoing um, practice. And so my sense is that the more that we can actually have the courage to face our own areas of darkness, our own challenges, um, I think that is, is part of what is essential in order to then um, take it to the interpersonal and bring it into relation and support support others um, in that own journey. And so there is that sense that when we're working with ourself, if we hold ourself as a much bigger understanding of self, that we're actually working with the wholeness as well. Um, so for me, I find that I'm able to be much more present and in a place of much more holding um, when I'm engaging with someone who's working with a challenge or a fear or whatever it is. Um, when I've done that own work, that that is such a, it's such an embodiment piece and requires that practice. Um, I know in the programs that we offer, the first part of our program is that own internal exploration before we then take it out into practice with others. Um, and I think uh, for me, there's that sense that our, our hearts are expanded in a way where we can really be present with others um, with so much more care when we're clear about what's showing up in our own being. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. You know, I, I Just think before I, you go in, uh, Alexander, um, sorry, I know, Veronica, you said you had a hard stop. So um, if you do have to go, I just want to wish you um, all the best and, and just express my gratitude for, for being part of this call today. It's been really exquisite and uh, you've been a big part of that. So so thank you. Thank you so much, Joel. Thank you, Laurie and Alexander. This has been just such a delight. Um, and I've just, yeah, thoroughly it, it, it feels so nourishing to me to be in dialogue with all of you and also to just, you know, it's what we were speaking about before with it's like bringing the forces together and really that collaboration and that connection and making that really explicit. Um, because I think in today's world, it's very clear all the things that are quote unquote wrong. And I find that having conversations that are nourishing and that are inspiring and where we're recognizing the deep goodness that we humans actually have innately in us. Um, and to, yeah, I'm just reminded of like an instrument when we play that chord, you know, we kind of come back to um, the strength of that, um, of that musical sound of our own goodness. And I think that to me, this dialogue is a remembrance of that goodness. So I thank all of you for the beautiful work that you're all doing. Yeah, thank you very much.
Yeah, thanks so much. Wonderful to be with you again, Veronica. We'll we'll stay connected. More paintings to share. See you later. And um, I just, Alexander, yeah, I kind of cut you off a bit there, so maybe she has some space. Well, you know what I hear um, is a theme. You know, in this, you know, your your prompt was, you know, well, like what what does it take? Like what do we what do we need to do to build a deeper relationship to wholeness and i am hearing a similar th- i'm hearing a thread which is essentially you know i might call it shadow resolution we can call it a million different things but it's it's that willingness to embrace all of who we are and i feel to me this is the gift of development because to me the stages of development, whether we put them on a ladder or whether we put them in a a sphere, however we put them, the way that I understand them is that they are dimensions of wholeness. That from a particular perspective, all of these stages, and by all I mean, whatever we wanna call the, the phases of unfolding since the dawn of time and space, that this is an entire cosmos that's doing something. This is an entire whole. And so to me, orienting to stages of development as we've been talking about it, is honing in to the human world and asking what are some of the the, uh, dimensions of this wholeness in the context of of, of what it means to be human. And that the process of shadow resolution or inner cultivation is a process of reclaiming our history, of not, you know, of, of, of uncovering our hidden allergies and addictions to certain ways of knowing, modes of being, ways of becoming, and to sort out where those allergies are and where those addictions are so that we can envelop the whole, the whole thing and recognize maybe this is who I am. Maybe I'm the whole thing. Maybe I'm the whole thing that's been going on for 13 point whatever billion years. Maybe I'm also what's beyond that whole thing. And that this process of of reclaiming our history, living history is a process of, of bringing fragmentation back into concert with, back into relationship with this larger wholeness. And so that's, that's what I think is required. And, and I think that there are some very effective ways for people to engage these practices. Um, and there are less effective ways. There are ways that um, produce awareness, but don't take it further, which often produces awareness plus more suffering of frag- related to fragmentation. And then I think there are also processes that can really take us through how does fragmentation reawaken to its own its own wholeness? And I think that's what we're all sort of exploring, discovering, and and practicing um, in this world. That feels like um, teeing up like part two of our conversation. There, I you know I just I guess just want to add in for me um, just this sense of um, curiosity and. Um, like 
deep listening and attunement to our experience and um you know uh, kind of dropping a certain kind of change agenda that we can have so that we begin to to be with and include more and more in our experience and then this kind of unfolding this dynamic intelligence kind of starts to kick in and um, you know, there's a certain attitude that I find, which which some of those attributes I just named that that's conducive to that taking place. So, so perhaps there's a yeah, there's a there's a an element of this which is also an education. You know, uh, uh, becoming aware of our notions of what the self is and what the um, what it is to develop. You know, uh, that you alluded to as well, Laurie, earlier. Um, so so yeah, I I just want to say I found this incredibly rich, and I um I've you know just to kind of break the fourth wall, I've got to go down and be with my family and um yeah, help my wife out. So I'm gonna bring this to a close, feeling that yeah we could have actually spoken for for another hour, yeah. um and I'd like to do a part two. So I'm really grateful. I've really felt the livingness of this conversation for me. Like if this podcast can touch people. If they can feel the transmission, not just the, the words, but the transmission of what we're talking about, it's part of the what might be emerging. You know, it, this is part of that emerging into the world. So um, I, I just really deeply resonate with both of you and what you've been sharing. So thanks. Beautiful. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Laurie. And thank you, Veronica. Um, it's just <laughs> yeah. been such a lovely, lovely time together. Thank you both so much. I mean, Alexander, I'm we're I'm used to doing this with you. Like we just this is what we do, you know. But it's wonderful to you know meet you, Joel, and and feel like we just slip right into those waters. And Veronica, it's it's a very I mean, basically, it's the thing I'm most interested in doing these days. So anytime you want to do it again, just let me know. Thanks so much. Just a, a heads up again, if you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com, put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. Bye.